I want to read really quickly my scripture this morning. I, I, I really want to ask you if, if you're so inclined and you're able to please remain standing for this. Uh, but I want to continue from last week. So I won't do the same reading that we did last week, but I want to do a continuation of the text. Last week we read from verses nine, uh, sorry, verses 1 through 9 of Judges chapter 7. And so I want to take up the reading this morning from verse number 9 through verse number 16. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It sounds like this. That night the Lord said, get up. Go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. I want you to note that. But if you are afraid to attack, this is God talking to Gideon. He said, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. Did you, did you catch that? Uh, verse number 10, if you are afraid, take Pura with you and go down to the camp. God told him, you will hear what they are saying, and when you hear what they are saying, it will encourage you to attack. And so the very next phrase is, so he took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. Verse number 12, the army of the Midian, of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley, listen to this, like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore. And then he puts almost in parentheses too many to count or too much to number. Then it says in verse number 13, Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said this, I had this dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all of its allies. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in the ground and worshipped before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord had given you victory over the Midianite hordes. Verse number 16, he divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man, note this, a ram's horn, a clay of jar containing a torch in it, each and every single one of them. Church, you could have your seats at this time. I just want to take the opportunity to welcome. If you are visiting with us, I want to take the opportunity to welcome you. And I've said this in the past. If you haven't heard this before, I want to reiterate it into your hearing. If somebody here has not treated you well or has not treated you with kindness, I want you to conclude that they are not members of the Antioch Church of Christ. Uh, just believe that they are just visiting 
uh, just as you are, because at Antioch we do really strive our best to, to be as hospitable as we possibly can. What I want to do on this morning, and I, I said this on last week, I really didn't get far into the message on last week, but what I want to do on, on this morning is I, I really want to do a, a, a brief recap as to where we would have been on last week and where we're going on this week. And so on last week, we really, we really made it through a couple different things. And, and, and one of the things, if, if I could just say this really quickly into your hearing to get you kind of sped up to where we are, uh, the text that we treated with on last week, verses 1 through 9, really was this description of how God went about to dwindle this Israelite army down to a number of 300 so that Ultimately, when the victory would have been given to them, there would have been no means by which they could have uttered the words that victory came by our own strength and our own power. So very early on in, in, in verses 1 and following, God indicates to Gideon that the army is too great. And he indicates the reason why it is he is saying this is because he knows he's about to give them the victory. He knows he's about to, to take the, 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 the army of the Midianites and its allies and he's going to run them into the ground. But he also knows the hearts and the minds of his people. And to be true, you know, one of the things that we noticed in the text on last week really, really quickly is, is that God does desire still to use a few good men and a few good women. And so last week we started looking at some requirements as to what it takes to really be or become a, a person within the confines of a few good men and a few good women of God. Number one, we saw last week that if you have to be someone uh, that is numbered within the confines of those who find themselves faithful to God, we must be committed to giving God all of the glory. That is to say, no matter what victory comes our way, no matter how much we have dispensed effort, energy, uh, and, and such alike, we must be individuals to, to recognize that God must be the one to receive all of the glory. Uh, in, in other words, we, we have to be committed to remove self out of it and allow God to shine. We, we have to be committed to move flesh out of the way. And you know how hard that is sometimes to remove flesh from this thing and allow God to receive the glory. But number one, we saw last week that in order for us truly to be a part of a few good men and a few good women that find ourselves in the service of the king, we have to be willing and committed to giving God all of the glory. And then secondly, and this is where we want to begin on today as well. Secondly, we saw that uh, not only should we be committed to giving God all of the glory, but we must be committed as well to not be controlled by fear. Uh, too often times, I said this on last week, and this is where we're going to begin on today. Too often, I want us to appreciate that the, probably the single uh, most glaring reason as to why it is the child of God fails uh, in their duties and their tasks that God has, has given to us and given to them, it's because of fear. We are crippled to do the things at times that God has tasked us 
in doing now. Let me say this because I didn't say this on last week. I need for us to, to appreciate where we fall and where we are when we talk about trying to come to grips and to terms with the tasks that God has set out for you and me to do. Uh, it, it's hard for us sometimes to, to determine what our purpose is. It's, it's hard for us sometimes to determine what we are meant to do with our lives. There, there is a reason why all of us have different trades and all of us have, have different backgrounds and all of us are, are skilled in different areas. Not everybody is a teacher, not everybody is a nurse, not everybody is a police officer, but all of us are called in some way, form or fashion and gifted to perform various tasks. But having said that, let me see if I can slow down for a little bit, but having said that, in as much as we may not always have a clear vision as to where God is leading us in our professional and personal lives, hence the reason why if you ask a young person, a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, hey, sometimes you ask somebody in their 30s, what do you think God is doing with your life and where do you think God is leading you? The, the answer that you might often get is, I do not know. I'm, I'm still probably in transition. I'm still trying to figure out where God wants me and, and where he is leading me. I'm still trying to figure out where I fit into the grand scheme of things. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing and where I'm going. And so I want, I want for us to appreciate when we talk about trying to figure out where God is leading us professionally and personally, sometimes we don't always have the response and the answer right now, here and then. But when we talk about the spiritual ramifications, when we talk about the spiritual mandate, when we talk about the spiritual mission of God, there is no ambiguity, church. There, there, there is no confusion as to what God is calling us as believers in Christ to be and to do. When he calls us to be something, he calls us to be like his son, Jesus Christ. There is no ambiguity as to who he is calling us to be. And when he is calling us to do something, I want us to see again, there is no confusion that every single person that is named a believer in Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit has been called to testify of Jesus Christ. So he calls us to be like Jesus, and he calls us to do exactly what Jesus did, which would be to be an advocate for the gospel of God. And so there must be no ambiguity there. There is no confusion. Yes, we may have some difficulty understanding professionally and personally where we would be and where he is leading us and where he is taking us and where we would go. But I'm telling you from a spiritual standpoint, there is no confusion whatsoever. He has made it clear. So if you're a police officer, he's not just calling you to be a police officer. He's calling you to be a Christian police officer. Uh, if he's calling you to be a teacher, he's not just calling you to be a teacher. He's calling you to be a Christian teacher. You, you get it now. Christian has to be at the beginning. It has to be at the forefront. It has to be at the core of everything that we identify with. For we are believers of the most high God. I want us to see something in regard to fear. I don't want to move on from fear just yet because I want us to appreciate something that we do find within the confines of chapter 7. And we could go back to chapter 6 for this, but I want us to see that the Bible gives us multiple opportunities to engage with fear in Judges chapter 6 and through Judges chapter number 7. 
But in as much as the Bible gives us a lot of opportunity to engage with the topic or the issue of fear, I want us to see that fear itself is not really at the forefront. Fear for us when we identify with the text, oftentimes we run to fear because that's a trait that you and I might suffer from from time to time. But the fear itself is not the thing that's on display. If you notice early on, if you notice early on, come back with me into the earlier portions of chapter 7. Look at what God says in verses number 2 and 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to need you to, to really just stay with your Bibles with me on this. Look at what God says, and I want you to see this as God is treating with the issue of fear. I want you again to recognize fear is not the thing that's on display. But rather, it's an obedience to God that's really on display. It's not fear that's the thing that takes center stage. But rather, what God does with somebody who might even himself be filled with fear is what is on center stage. But notice this, because oftentimes when we read this text, we have to be so careful in being able to identify the different types of fear and the different ways in which fear navigates itself in our lives. Watch this. In verse number two, the Lord said to Gideon, the people are too many for me to give you, give them into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Then in verse number three, it says, now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from the Mount, Gil uh, from Mount Gil Gilead, uh, and 22,000 of the people return to their homes. Here is what I want us to notice in the text. Oftentimes, we, we look at the 22,000 walking away and saying, well, these people were full, filled with fear. That's why God couldn't use them. And there might be some justification to that. But here is what I want you to also note. I want you to note that out of the 22,000 that left because of fear, they were initially there simply because God said you had to go and fight. And oftentimes we look at this group and we look at this crowd and we say, we say to ourselves, well, they were so fear-filled as to that's why God sent them away. And there might be some credence to that, but I want us to understand that 22,000 that ultimately left, they showed up. In other words, even though they may have had fear and it was seen as God weeded it out, even though they were filled with, with apprehension, even though they, they were concerned maybe about losing their lives, etc., 22,000 that ultimately left were 22,000 that showed up full of fear. And so even though, what, what I'm trying to help us to understand is that there is a difference between us being willing in our fear for, to, for God to use us and us being so fearful based on what we see that we don't adhere to the command and the, and the will of God. Case in point, when, when the children of Israel, when, when, when Moses had sent the spies into, into Canaan's land to spy it out and they came back, out of the 12 spies, 10 came back with a negative report. And here is what the report that they gave. They said, listen, the, the walls are too great. The people are too, there are giants in the land. We are not able to take it. Well, the truth and the fact of the matter is I didn't send you into the land to determine whether or not you could take it. 
I sent you into the land so that you could see the pathways and you could come up with a strategy and you could see everything that I have already to. I told you that there were giants in the land. I told you that you were going to have to fight for it. I told you that you were going to come up against great opposition. God never leads us into a place, chaotic as it may be, God never leads us into a place that he has, has not already informed us what is ahead. Marriage is difficult. But the first time you encountered the difficulty of marriage wasn't when you got into marriage. You already knew from looking at your parents and your grandparents and your neighbors and, and hearing your teachers teach and preachers talk. You already knew that marriage was difficult. Relationships are difficult. Friendships are difficult. Walking a life that's dedicated to Christ, we often say, is difficult. But before you step foot into the covenant relationship, there was a distinction of information that was given to us. God never sends us into an environment. He never sends us into a place. He doesn't call us into a ministry where he doesn't tell us what to expect in that ministry. And so, church, I want us to appreciate this, that as we look at this text, God, God indicates to them, yes, uh, here's the first test. I, I just want you to tell those who have fear in them that they could go ahead and leave. Notice God didn't berate them. Notice God didn't speak ill of them. Notice God didn't push them down and, uh, and see all kind of stuff. All he said is, listen, I'm going to extend some grace. If you have some fear and some apprehension, I know what I'm going to do. If you have some fear and some apprehension, this might not be the place that you need to be right now in this moment. Because as, as, the, as it unfolds, I want to fast forward really quick. As it unfolds, as the story unfolds, the reason why I, I, I'm going to have to deal with, 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 not deal with these individuals is because I'm going to give some, some strong instructions and some particular instructions. And I need for you to listen when the time comes. But when you're filled with fear and the battle is afoot and, and the drums are beaten and it's, a, it's, it's about that time to take your first step to swing a sword and, and take a first step to fight, I need for your attention to be where it needs to be. And not find yourself distracted by what the enemy is doing. So, so guys, I want us to appreciate as we think about fear, I want us to see that fear itself is not the issue, but what fear does to us becomes the issue. And then secondly, of course, you did read it in the text. God told, God told Gideon, if you are fearful to attack. I, I, I know I already told you you have to attack. I know I told you already you have to fight. But if you yourself as the leader have some fear and have some phobia and have some apprehension, here is what I want you to do. I want you to take your servant and go down into the camp. The very next thing you would see is that Gideon takes Pura and they are going down into the camp. In other words, don't allow your apprehensions and your fears to deter you from doing what God has called you to do. So as we move on, I want to share number three with us really quickly. As we think about what it takes to be found within the confines of a few good men. Not only do we need to give God all of the glory, not only must we be determined not to be controlled by fear, but number three, we must be vigilant and aware. And I have up here aware of the enemy, and I put that in, in question marks. 
Because what I want to focus on is not so much aware of the enemy, because that's where often we've taken it. That's where if you do your reading and you do your research into this text, people often say, well, the reason why it is God chose the men that didn't bow themselves down with their face into the water, drinking, not observing. Uh, God didn't chose them because they would not have been aware of the enemy. And there again, there might be some validity to understanding that. There might be a reason why God decided to choose those who would bend down and keeping their eyes up uh, over the horizon while they're drinking. There might be a reason for that in that he wanted those individuals to be people who were fully aware of their surroundings. And I'm not taking anything away from that. We think about what Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 8 to, to the brethren, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary devil, he, he goes around, he is roaming this earth seeking whom he may devour. There is a sense by which we ought to be people who are constantly aware of our surroundings. So I'm not negating the fact that we need to be aware of the devil. We need to be aware of his devices. We need to be aware of his schemes. I'm not negating the fact that there comes a point in our Christian living where we need to be aware of what the devil is doing. But again, the devil is not the one and the enemy is not the one that takes center stage when it comes to this. No, 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 no. God is not saying, I want you to be aware of what the enemy is doing. I want you to be distinctly aware of something something else. Come with me into verse number 17 really quickly, church, because I, I really want to be done with this message on this morning. In verse number 17, God does something and he says something that is, 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 is utterly profound through as he gives Gideon these instructions and Gideon is now called to give the faithful few 300 these instructions. Notice what happens in verse number 16 earlier on. Then he divided the 300 into three companies and he put trumpets in every man's hands and empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. Verse number 17. And he said to them, are you there with me? Verse number 17. And he said to them, look at me. Say, look at me. Come on, come on. You got to preach this. Say, he, he, he said to them, look at me. And what I do, do likewise. Don't, don't, don't miss it. He said, look at me. And do likewise, watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. Here is why you need to be vigilant. Here is why you need to have uh, an awareness about you. It's not so much a focus on what the enemy is doing. But rather, the reason why God needed them to be vigilant in their focus was because there's going to come a point in time in the chaos and the calamity and the fight where you can't focus on the enemy. You have to focus on the one who is leading. And too often, I'm not going to harp on this too much, but too often what happens with us, you, you, remember, you remember Peter and the disciples when they were in the boat in the middle of the, in the, middle of the storm? They were so fixated and focused on the winds and the waves and the rain and, and all that kind of stuff that they lost sight. Even though they saw Jesus come in, they lost sight of who he was. And so Jesus ultimately had to prove himself. He had to prove his power when Peter said, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come out on the water. And even when he began walking on the water, don't miss it. Even when he began walking on the water, what did he start to do when he saw that the waves were contrary, when he saw that the winds were blowing, when he saw that the rain was falling, the exact same conditions he left the boat was the exact same conditions while he was walking on the water. 
The difference was when he started walking out, when he started out of the boat, his eyes were fixated on Jesus. But somewhere along the line, he moved his gaze, he moved his eyes, he stopped fixating on Jesus, and he began looking at everything. I know this is not in context, but I'm going to put it in, put it in anyway. He started to look at everyone else. He started to listen to everyone and everything else. And you know how it goes. I said it two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, but you know how it goes. Sometimes it's not even the voices on the outside that's problematic. Sometimes it's the voices on the inside. Sometimes nobody is speaking negatively of you, at least not to your hearing. They might speak behind your back and behind closed doors. But, 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 but you don't have uh, any evidence of anybody speaking any negative towards you externally. Sometimes the things that you're wrestling with, the voices that you're wrestling with is the ones internally. Oh, you, you don't have the education. No, 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 you can't speak as well as him. No, 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 you, you don't have the experience like her. No, 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 you haven't been a Christian that long. No, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't. And sometimes we allow the voices in our own heads to take our focus and take our gaze away from the one who is calling us and commanding us to walk on the water. That was a good place to say amen. That was a good place to say praise God. I need for us to understand that we are serving a God that calls us out of a boat and says, you guys could walk on the water. I'm telling you, we're still serving the God that was able to take Gideon and 300 men and demolish and destroy a multitude, so much so that they could number how many people they were up against. I'm telling you, the story of David and Goliath is real, not because David was real, not because Goliath was real, but because God is real. So ultimately, ultimately, here's what I want to say. We must be vigilant and aware. Yes, 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 be vigilant and aware of what the enemy is doing. But every now and, now and again, you have to move your gaze from the enemy and put your gaze on God himself. So I know the enemy might be doing something over here, but I need you guys. When, when you see me move, you move. I know the enemy is doing some stuff over there, but I need for you to, to, to disassociate your, your, your vision from what the enemy is doing for a time and look on me. What you see me do, you do. When you see me show hospitality, you show hospitality. When you see me speak grace, you speak grace. Where you spe see me speak love, you speak love. Where you see the, me not dispense condemnation, you don't condemn whatever you see me do. It's almost like Gideon is a reflection of Jesus in this moment. What you see me do, you do likewise. Here is what Paul says as he's writing to the brethren in Corinth. I have to move on. He says, listen, uh, be ye imitators of me as I imitate Christ. The reason why some of us are uncomfortable being examples for other people and, and constantly wallowing in the fact that, yeah, we're human and, yeah, we're weak and we always have frailties is because we have yet to adopt the mentality of becoming like Jesus. And the more we find ourselves in the flesh, the more we find ourselves wallowing in the me mediocrity and the sinful nature of the flesh and the weakness of the flesh is the more we disassociate ourselves from walking in the calling of being the very image of the Son Jesus Christ. So he says we must be vigilant and aware not so much of the enemy, but we must be vigilant and aware of the master. 
Can I give you this really quickly as we move on? I have two more really, really quickly. Number, number four, we must have a clear concept and appreciation of and for teamwork. <laughs> Anybody and any, everybody who has been blessed to uh, live in a household where it's beyond a household of one. <laughs> whether you're, you're in a house with mom and dad and siblings or whether you've been blessed to be in a house with a spouse. and uh, it, it doesn't matter whether you have the pattern feet of kids running around or it's just you and your spouse. Let me, let me tell you this. All of us have an appreciation for understanding that in a, in a household, it's, it's not just about me. It's not just about you. But if you have two people dwelling in the same place under the same roof and there's a covenant relationship there, it takes that, those two people to make this function. If you're living in a house of five, it takes the five people to make this thing work. If you're in a congregation of 400 plus, it takes 400 plus to make this. I don't know. I don't know if you guys are there or not, but I'm going to preach it anyway. We must have a clear concept, appreciation and understanding for teamwork. This is not a work of one. This is a work of many. This is not a work of just with a Morgan, but this is a work of an entire leadership. This is not just a work of the leadership. This is a, a work of the entire body. This is not just a work of the deacons. This is a work of volunteers. This, this is a work for everybody because all of us make a part of this body. And so God is showcasing through Gideon. If you guys have to operate and navigate and gain the victory, there is a point by which you have to appreciate and come to terms with the need for teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. I just had to put that in there because it sounded good. But teamwork makes the dream work. Again, so in verse number 17 onward, I need for us to see that God tells him, listen, when, when, you, when I split you off into your companies and you make your way and you encamp around the camp, each of you have to keep your eyes on me, and when you see me move, each of you move. But not only do we have to be, have a clear concept of teamwork, I want to put number five with it because I have to be done. Number five, we must be able and willing to stand and work in the position where you are placed. This one is tricky. Because sometimes we're not comfortable being in the position that we're in right now. We, we want something greater. We need something more. It's not enough for me to be a volunteer. I want to be a deacon. Until deacons realize they don't have the level of authority that the eldership has. And so now it's not comfortable for me to be a deacon anymore. I need to be a minister. And if I'm a minister, I also want to become an elder. There is something about the human existence where we're always, we're always striving for some level of authority or perceived power that it really doesn't belong to us. Could, could I share something from the standpoint of a, a preaching perspective? Being a preacher, though there is a level of responsibility and obviously there is some type of authority, biblical authority that goes with it, being a preacher is not me being a dictator. And the minute, uh-oh, the minute, the minute a preacher functions as a dictator, 
or a king of sorts, he has stepped out of his God-given calling. The, the, the minute an eldership acts as if they own the house, the eldership has now lost sight and stepped out of their God-called and given role. Because the last time I checked, this house is not mine. This house is not theirs. This house is not even yours. This house is his. So all we're doing is we're participants and parts of the house. So we have to learn how it is to operate and navigate with a sense of camaraderie. And that isn't to say that we won't have times of confusion. That isn't to say that we won't have times of dialogue where we're arguing. That isn't to say that we'll always enjoy having the same mindset and the same mentality. But I'm telling you, we have to learn to appreciate what it means to work together. But then, if you didn't say amen for that, we have to be willing to also work in the place that God has in this moment, designed for us. So watch it and we'll be done. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 and 18, I, I need to be done, so let, me do, let me do even, so let me just quote this, I have to be done. This is how Paul puts it. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. Is it therefore really not part of the body? And if the air should say, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body. Is it therefore really not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole body were uh, an air, where would be the sense of smell? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he has been pleased. So guys, I want to encourage us on this morning to have a good sense and a clear concept of teamwork. It's not about you. It's not about me. Uh, full, 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 full disclosure. Full disclosure. Don't, don't, don't you think there, there are times in, in ministry where as a preacher or as elders, we have a particular vision that we would like to, to see the church in a direction that we would like to see the church go in. But guess what? You can't force a vision on anybody or anything. We have to learn to navigate and work together. I, I, I don't know about you, but there, there are times, and again, full disclosure, there are times where, where I want to push to do something. and It's almost like the Holy Spirit is, is constraining and saying, hey, you can't do this. And even if you were to do this, you need people on your side to help you accomplish this. It's not about me. It's not about you. It really is about God and his will. So if, if you don't mind, I just want to summarize this into you here. In order for us to be a part of a few good men, we must be willing and committed to giving God all the glory. Must decide not to be controlled by fear. Must be vigilant and aware, not necessarily solely about what the enemy is doing, but what the master is doing. We must have a concept and a, a clear vision as to a meaning of teamwork. But two, we must always, number five, we must always be willing to work in the place that God has set for us in this moment.
Would you stand with me? As together we prepare to sing our song of invitation. Now, as Thomas makes his way up, I want you guys to know something. It's not easy doing what we are attempting to do here at Antioch. Let me, let me come up next to Thomas so you could see me. It is not easy doing what we're attempting to do here at Antioch. It would be so easy for our Hispanic members to go and do ministry and life all by themselves in a language that is their primary language. It would be so easy for English-speaking audience to, to have a worship that's void of, 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 of Spanish-speaking and, uh, and Spanish words and, and having to fight and navigate. It would be so easy if we would separate and do our own things. It is not easy to have a congregation where you have Hispanic people and background, where you have people of African descent, where you have people from the Caribbean, where, where you have people from the U.S. or Caucasians. It is not easy to do what we are attempting to do. But watch it. If we are purposeful in making sure God receives the glory, if we are mindful of not allowing fear to control us, if we are willing, guys, to allow ourselves to be used and be aware of what God is doing and not simply be focused on what the enemy is doing, if we have a clear concept of unity, of togetherness, and teamwork, and if we are willing to work in the space that God has called us to work, I'm telling you, it won't be easy, but it's doable. And I want to call you this morning to get plugged in. I want to call you this morning to be dedicated to not doing the easy thing, but even if it's hard, submitting yourself to allow God to work through you, with you, and check this on you. If you have any prayer requests this morning, I want to encourage you to come for us together we sing, and may God add a blessing to each and every single one of us here today.